All right, good morning. It's 8 o'clock on the East Coast, and it is 1 p.m. in Scotland. I'm Dr. Mounts. Yay! Let's have Larry bring us in. Come on, Larry. All Things Unexplained. Hosted by Dr. Mounts. Let's face it, we were always ready to roll without him anyway. <laughs> CJ Derringer. Ain't nobody perfect, right? And Smitty Neves. I've never planned out hardly anything my whole life. I just free ball. Featuring Cajun Man. I'm just old nobody, somebody looking for somebody. Good morning, everybody. Everybody watching on Facebook Live, welcome to the show. If you're listening to the podcast on uh, Apple Podcast, wherever, Spotify, Google, Amazon, all around the world, we listen to in over 40 countries. Welcome to the show. Mom. We're missing CJ this morning. We had a late night last night for the Tar Heels, the most epic Sporting event in the history of North Carolina, maybe in the history of the world. The Final Four with UNC versus Duke last night, and the Tar Heels came out on top. Smitty's never available on Sunday, but that's okay. I'm so pleased to welcome to the show this morning, welcome to All Things Unexplained, Arthur Chrissy Heron from Scotland. Chrissy. Welcome to the show. Terrific, terrific. Chrissy is the author of Headaches and Hauntings, her brand new, I I believe, debut novel. Is that correct, Chrissy? Yes, it is. Thank you very much. Yep. That's amazing. And Chrissy's joining us. First one out there. First one, and you're joining us from Scotland. Thank you so much. So. Yeah, it's a pretty cold Scotland this morning, but then we can have the four seasons in one day here. I'm in just outside Glasgow. So we had the sunshine this morning, then we had some rain. There's been a blizzard, which is now just finished, and the sun is <laughs> trying to get back out. So it's seven degrees, cold, but hey-ho, that <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> That's amazing. I know I'm ready for summer here, but... I do love Scotland. I have visited Scotland. It's one of my favorite places, Chrissy. Oh, brilliant. Where did you go? Oh, so I kind of went all over. So I definitely, I went to Inverness. Well, let me backtrack. So I started in Edinburgh. And yeah. I had heard Edinburgh described as the most beautiful city in the world by some people. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, yeah, it's got to be stunning. right up there, right? I mean, it's um, mm-hmm. incredible. Yes. Could it possibly be one of the most haunted cities in the world? Oh, mm. a- it absolutely could be one of the most haunted cities in the world. We yeah. s- I started in Edinburgh, and I'll tell you one of the haunted things that I was told about, Chrissy, and this is part of what I love about you know Europe in general. Here in America, if you... If you go, you know, if you find an old building, something with history, you're talking about something maybe 50 years old, right? <laughs> at the most, yeah, exactly. at the most, yeah. say 200 years old, right? Well, that's that's new. Yeah. 
in Europe. <laughs> you find yeah. something old in Europe, yeah. you're talking. You might be talking thousands yeah. of years old. Well, there's a, a small castle less than a mile from me, and it dates back to something like 1536. I know exactly. So what's old to me, and what's old to you, are two completely different things. Yes, yeah. isn't that mind blowing? America is quite new in the in the big picture. Oh, absolutely. So I was told this mm -hmm. story, and it, it's it's so haunting. It 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 haunts me to this day when I think about it. About Edinburgh, is that at one point in their history, yep. and I'm not sure when this was, maybe. Maybe 1600s, it was illegal to be homeless or live in the street yeah. in Edinburgh. But that didn't yeah. mean that there were not homeless people. Apparently there were hundreds, if not thousands, of homeless people in Edinburgh. And there were all these tunnels or catacombs or, yeah. or spaces catacombs. underground. Right. And yeah. the city apparently was surrounded by a wall to keep out mm -hmm. invaders. But tragically, the other thing yeah. it did it was it kept people in. And and so, and, yes. Yeah. And so, I believe at that time they used, for example, hay as a common insulator uh, of buildings. Yeah. And so, the yeah. city caught fire at some point. And mm -hmm. all these people were just trapped underground with no escape. As the yep. city burned. Yeah. Well, the catacombs housed probably the worst of the worst. So you had everybody live underground, like rats. In fact, the rats probably had a better life. Um, you had the worst of the worst on what you would almost suggest would be like a mini city under the city. But you had murderers, rapists. You had, um, oh gosh, who were the two? Burke and Hare, who were the grave robbers. They used to steal bodies for the physicians in Edinburgh so they could um, do their tests on them. <clears throat> Apparently, they would go down there on a regular basis and drag out some of the dead bodies because these people who lived down there had absolutely nothing, nothing. So it was disease-ridden, it was just full of the worst characters possible. There was no natural sunlight and there was no sanitation. So you can imagine it would have been absolutely stinking. Oh, yeah. But as you're right, I think the story goes along the lines of, yes, there was fire. And instead of trying to save these people, which they had probably made no attempt to do because these were nobody. Right. They put tons and tons of rubble down the entrances and oh, these wow. people perished down there, died but uh, I think it was about 1985, a chappy he was a rugby player, I think his name was Rowan he was doing some major renovation to his house and discovered <clears throat> entrances to the catacombs Oh, <clears throat> and uh, that was the start of what is now a massive clear out and people tend to go and visit, but mainly because it's said to be so haunted. And you would imagine it would be. The amount of residual en energy that must be there must be awesome. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm too frightened to go. I, I got to go down there, yeah. and I can't say what part I was in 
you know, or anything like that. But just, you know, being down there, uh, it was just, you know, you just got the sensation of of being in the presence of, of someone else. Yeah. Some of the best um, documentaries I've seen with regard to the afterlife and places that are potentially haunted have been down in the catacombs. Some of the footage that they've taken has been really, really brilliant. So, uh, yeah, if there's a, a place that I don't want to go, it's definitely down there. But anything that I've seen with regard to it, you know, you can imagine there would have been hundreds, if not thousands of people screaming and dying and nobody there to help them. Horrible when you think about it. Horrible, yeah. Just but terrible. no, it's all open now, and you can go and visit it. Wow. And you know, what else, you know what else it just made me realize, Chrissy, is that at least here in America, mm-hmm. very certain different cities have homeless problems or homeless situations here, right? And nobody has really seemed to have a good answer for it, but when you, or a good explanation for why we have s- such a homeless situation... But it makes you realize when you talk yeah. about the Edinburgh situation, this is not something new, right? Um, I mean, the homeless no. situation, that's been a thing for a long time. Why do you think all those people were there in Edinburgh, I wonder, living that life instead of like, you know, here in America, you might think, well, why weren't you just out in the Scottish countryside raising sheep or something? Well, I think a lot of it's to do with absolute ignorance. These people were uneducated, you know, running about just hand to mouth, stealing food, living day to day. And I think when, you br- when you're brought up in that kind of squalor and desperation, desperate people do desperate things. You know, a lot of these people, if you'd have taken them out of that situation and taken them out into the country or whatnot, they would have had no idea what to do. They had probably never seen a live sheep or a live cow, or been unable to defend themselves. But when they came up from beneath where they were, that's when they became thieves and attackers and everything else because there was so much wealth above the ground, they could come up and steal it and go back down again. Because you've got to remember as well, way back then, they lived in things, they ate things like scallops and all sorts of lobster and shellfish. Everything now that we would spend a lot of money on, sure. back then, that's what the poor ate, you know? So I think it would have been horrific, horrific. There was no handout, there was no money, there was nothing. These people were literally stealing just to survive. Yeah, terrible, terrible. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, but people do do what they have to do, you know, to survive. So we were talking about how haunted Edinburgh, Edinburgh is, Scotland in general. Chrissy, your debut yes. novel, Headaches and Hauntings, is the general haunted factor of Scotland, was that a big influence on your book, Headaches and Hauntings? No, I think it was more to do with the main character. Catherine. The main character is, is based on a real person. And when I was little, we lived in a 
terribly old building that was called a tenement, where there was about 12 different flats over four levels. And the buildings were jam-packed with families. Toilets, or bathrooms as you would call it, were on the outside of the building. They were not within your flat. So you came out of an evening and you went down onto what they called the landing to use the toilet. Oh, like an you outhouse. You had a bath in front of the fire, yeah. But uh, there was a lady who lived a couple of buildings up from us. And she, they used to call her a spay wife, which is a Scottish word for a lady who can see spirits or talk to ghosts or however you want to, to um, describe her. But she was a very eccentric individual who, when she used to come to your house, she wouldn't say the general things you would expect them to say, or oh, I can see this or I can see that. She would come in with a very specific question where she would say things like, you've lost your, your pearl earring, it's behind your sideboard, or go and get your chest looked at by the doctor, something's not right there. Or she would talk the way I'm talking to you to what you would say was dead people that were in the house with us. And at first it used to be quite nerve-wracking, but over time we got used to it. And the the things that she would come away with and the things she would say were so incredibly accurate that we never ever questioned her. So the lady was called Maggie, but what I did was I brought her character up to date and made her me and made the book into what sounds like a biography. And I brought her into the 20th century because if she had been alive now, she would be a worldwide phenomenon because her ability to do what she did was off the scale, off the scale. Tragically, you know, she had a very bad life and she sadly took her own life later on. Now she wasn't terribly old. But that was because she said she could not live with the amount of spirits who followed her about and spoke to her. And I thought the whole thing was very tragic. But one of the things from it was she used to keep diaries, which I got, an ac I got access to read once. And they were absolutely incredible. This was a genteel, clever um, woman who was completely misunderstood and was before her time. And uh, so I based the book on that. So don't read it if you're looking for a love story. <laughs> but if you're looking for something that's really out there and it's really different, yeah, give it a really good read because there's a lot of um, detail in her life and everything that she's went through and the many people and many different situations she ended up in, uh, which are gruesome, terrifying. She used to help the police if there was a murder, and it was a particularly gruesome murder, she would help them secretly. But of course, she was then exposed to some horrific scenarios. So if you've been taken into a building and you see somebody being stabbed, murdered, raped, throttled, whatever, she said that she was taken back to that moment in time and could tell you who did the murder itself. 
and I believe that she actually predicted on several occasions the right person. And a lot of this was before DNA sampling and fingerprinting, you know, at it, at its um, at its best. But now, you know, she would have been just a worldwide phenomenon. She would have been incredible. But uh, yes, and the, the wonderful thing about the book, which took me a year to write, there's a lot of very much me in it because over the years things have happened in my life that I thought I can't explain that. So rather than try to explain it, I will write about it. Because scientists always want to try and explain. They can't explain something, they just poo-poo it or it doesn't exist. Right. Some things are unexplainable. And sometimes you can't deny what you've seen with your own eyes or maybe heard. But science or scientists will try and poo-poo it. But I think uh, I think there's a there's a lot out there that's unexplained that people don't want you to know the answer. Does that sound a bit bizarre? Yes. I don't know. Well, it makes sense. It makes sense. But we uh-huh. we we embrace the unexplained on this show, and I of think course. I think it makes the world more a more interesting place. Yeah, I think we've all had something happened in our life where we thought, oh, what was that? What just happened there? And I have said to several other people, I think we have an ability um, to be able to touch on if there's somebody in the building with you or a past person who's maybe passed on is with you, I've came to visit. I think personalities are too strong for people to totally go, especially if they've been taken from us in a sudden or a, a horrific manner, because they're not quite ready to, to go yet. You know, residual energy that maybe stays behind, which is why things like, you're saying to me, oh, is Scotland the most haunted because the buildings are older? Not necessarily. I don't think a building has to be old for it to be haunted. But I do believe that something can go on in that building that makes it want to stay. You just need to look at a lot of the things that have happened in the States. You know, you want to look at things like Amityville and all the other gruesome things that have happened through time. Yeah. That wasn't an, an old building, but it's where it was situated, what it was situated on, the type of people that these buildings attract. And uh, I said to you before, but before we started this conversation, um, there's, um, we were talking about a chappie called Crowley, who I'm absolutely petrified from. Yes. Who was, um, uh, who, he was very much into demonology and Satanism way back at the start of the century. Alistair. Now, Alistair, yes. I I don't actually even like saying his name. Um, he really is one of... In his day, I think he was the most terrifying man who existed on Earth. He purchased a building up beside Loch Ness. Uh, Loch Ness on its own, you know, the Loch Ness monster. Do you yes. believe it? I do, because as a family, 
We used to have a boat up there when I was a wee girl, long before mobile phones. And we used to stay on the boat at night. And, uh, you know, we were on the boat one particular night. And all I can explain to you is whatever went past our boat, it wasn't a big boat, it was only about 20 foot long, but whatever went past our boat, I can only describe was something like or sounded like a whale or a large dolphin or something of that ilk, which they don't have in there. Right. But you could feel the force and you could feel the pressure of it going past. Now, if we'd had mobile phones or cameras or whatnot, we may well have taken a picture. But it was nighttime. The only thing that was there was the stars. And they used to say up in Loch Ness, there's two monsters up here. There's the Loch Ness monster. Which possibly there is, you know, the it's the biggest loch in Britain. And it's hundreds of feet. At one point it's over a mile deep. Could be anything down there, we don't know. We don't know what's at the bottom of the sea in the Atlantic, never mind at the bottom of Loch Ness. But they used to say there was two monsters that lived in Loch Ness. One was a monster, which I believe, to a certain extent, is I believe there's something there. And also Mr Crowley. To be continued. You've been listening to All Things Unexplained. If you liked this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. If you would like to hear more All Things Unexplained, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our show depends on the support of listeners like you. Find us on Venmo under the business accounts. Just look for at Bigfoot UFO. If you can't get enough of us, go ahead and check us out at allthings-unexplained.com. A special thanks to our producer, director, sound mixer, editor, and the man who wears far too many hats. No, seriously, he wears a lot of hats. Dr. Tim Mounts. Without you, we couldn't keep the lights on. Thanks for listening to All Things Unexplained.